Just so you know, I'm barely ready to do this. Let's keep trying until we get it. Just so you know, I'm barely ready to do this. Let's keep trying until we get it. <laughs> All right. I think everything is ready here. Oh, and I'll introduce you. So I'll say I'm Derek. I'm Curtis. And we have with us a special guest today. Jonathan's not able to be here. He evaporated or something. He doesn't really exist. He's an AI construct. I know. He he had to go I'm back. shaking Curtis's hand. I've seen his yep. in person numerous times, eating meals with him. Yep. Put up or shut up, man. <laughs> I know. Jonathan, I know. Jonathan's back at Brigadoon. He's back at Guantanamo. <laughs> he he had work release at Guantanamo. Now I feel like I've got a... Somewhere in here. Somewhere in here. Oh, well. Don't have it. Oh, there it is. Okay. So, vouch for me, Curtis. That's Jonathan right there by me when I was skinnier. Okay, so him taller. Well, he's, taller. Yeah, he's a little bit shorter right there. Oh, that's Stri right. Striped shirt. Striped shirt. Okay. Yeah. Sean Chastain, Jeff Luttrell, my friend oh. Mike in Nashville, and then Joyce DiDonato in the hat. How about that? It was all the Dirksen Fine Arts Center crew hanging out at Applebee's. So she was in town doing a recital, and Alex Ross from the New York Times was following her around. What? So Alex Ross took that picture, and I got to eat chicken wings with Alex Ross. So There's something you don't do every day. Yeah, that's right. When so, was that? 2012 or oh, okay. 11, something like that. All right. So they were covering things other than that they hate Trump at that time. Yeah, they were. Yeah, and the New York Times was dedicated to fine arts and stuff, and yeah, all that's out the window now. Yeah. Alex is like oh, married he's gone woke. Yeah. Oh yeah. But some of his writing stuff is amazing. The rest is noise. Oh, that's a great book. Listen to this. Yep. Um, I meant to bring my copy of uh, The Rest Is Noise for him to autograph, and I forgot it, so didn't didn't do it. Didn't do it. Hey, by the way, did you hear they laid off most of the staff of Sports Illustrated? Yeah, I saw that. Uh, that is crazy. Yep. Print media going down in flames. Yep. Going down in flames. All right. So uh, here we go. Ready or not. Three, two. Well, hello and welcome back to another episode of Why Is This So Hard For You? I am still Derek. Still Curtis. Good. Jonathan has uh, evaporated. He's taken this off. He used some of his sick leave or his vacation leave, and he's gone. So we have the artist formerly known as Jonathan or the podcaster known as Jonathan. This, the seat this morning is filled by our good friend from Monroe, Louisiana, Jared Ritchie. Welcome, Jared. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it it's is fun. so good to have you. So good to have you. Give us a little one and a half two minute teaser on who you are how we know each other and just kind of what you do i'm a musician choir director um i'm a southern boy yes he found you are. his way up to wichita 10 years ago 
stayed with you and have been perpetually staying with you and in, in, in frequent trips ever since then but we share a love of music and and so that's what i'm doing here yeah it's great to have you we just when we knew that jared was going to be in town i was like oh we got to have you step on the podcast and why is this so hard to get jared on so we're glad that <laughs> you have made the trip over today to do this speaking of do this guys ready i suppose let's okay. do it <laughs> so uh as you all know see i i went southern there for you for you i, you, I appreciate it yeah you, you i was all. getting confused yeah as you know uh as as we all know we like to bring in a, a song each um and uh, everyone's heard this song and we kind of have done some background listening and some reading and that sort of thing and so we're ready to um, give some thoughts on the song. Why don't we let our guests start? What do you think, Curtis? I think right? that'd be great. Okay, great. So let's start with the actual song that uh, that Jared has brought in. I'm just going to, I think I'm just going to roll tape and we'll see what we get here. So without any further ado. Okay, Jared, what do we have here? This is the one and only Guilty, Randy Newman. Yep, Randy Newman. We're a long way from You've Got a Friend in Me. You got that right. <laughs> Although he follows the same sort of chord progression feel. Yeah, it's still that, that uh, bluesy shuffle, yep. Dixieland piano, yep. jazz blues cross. Okay, so what's, what's lyrically, what's going on in this song here? What's he... I love the uh, oh. very dissonant <laughs> oh, yes. verses here. Well, what's going on lyrically in this song? What's he talking about? What's he getting at with the lyrics? Oh, this song is is uh, it's amazing, just the music with the lyrics. He's he's feeling bad. He's, he's drunk. The music is like just the slosh but steady. And even the way he delivers... You know his lyric i'm guilty it's kind of staggering in <laughs> and staggering out it's very well done um and it's in you know it's in what i like to call the, the melancholy blues 12 8 meter yeah you know that that's typical it's a drunk shuffle <laughs> hey that could be an album that could be the drunk shuffle <laughs> the drunk shufflers and does does randy newman deliver anything that he's ever done other in kind of a drunken kind of sloshy way i mean i feel like this is not far from his usual vocal delivery that's right i mean it, randy newman like bob dylan like leonard cohen the delivery is in the artistry of the lyric and the writing not in the singing ability that's for sure that's he's for sure. a fantastic pianist absolutely and he's from my part of the world well he, as a kid he spent his time in new orleans uh, and then move back to LA, you know. He, the Newmans are, they're like the Kennedys and the Rockefellers, but of music. You know, his uncles were film composers, and mm. his nephews, a film composer. But he's a songwriter, and this is one of his best and least known uh, in his early stuff. Uh, right. Say. So go ahead, Curtis. He was not the first to record this song. That's right. He was not. He was not. It was uh, Bonnie Raitt. That's right. On her 1973 album, which the title of it escapes me. Taken, um, oh, what is it? I I wrote it down. I think I it's, forgot I to. Can't Make You Love Me, the prequel. 
<laughs> is that it? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. This the, was the lead up to that. The, the, the long lead up to that. <laughs> taking my time. 73 album. Yeah. Taking my taking time. Money rate. Yeah. And so, yeah, uh, Jared told me that last night that when we were talking about this song, he said, actually, you know, this is not the original version of it. And Bonnie Raitt's is. And this song comes from an album called Good Old Boys, mm-hmm. which um, is a concept album, right? Yeah. I mean, it, there's just debate on whether how much it, it, it stayed a concept album. I mean, I think it's definitely a concept album in the sense that there is um, characters in there that... Um, but it, originally, it was an actual particular character that he wrote, and... I, and from what I've read, if you pulled back on that, but it's it's a concept album in that it it's part of the South. You know, it, it touches Louisiana, it touches Georgia, it touches you know Alabama. It's it's Randy's speaking to you know he could get away with this stuff because he would just say you know it's not me, right? I'm, I'm writing a character. Yeah, plausible deniability. Exactly. That, yeah, and it was 1974, so yeah, you could get right. away with it then too. Well, my understanding is that he, well, in the songs, he's kind of going after the racial elements that existed in the South, yet also the hypocrisy from the North. Yes. It was it was not just putting the South on blast. Yeah, he's an equal opportunity abuser. <laughs> yeah. Seems yeah, like and, it. And there's all the typical snark of right. Randy Newman. Yeah. Um, yeah, he he's really. I mean, the genius of Newman, as I said, is his writing. But as a Louisiana guy, I mean, you can hear the chords of New Orleans. You can hear the blues of New Orleans come out. You can hear the shuffles. You he he gives some barbs at you know LSU. You know my, right. my home state university. You know, on one of the other tracks on this album. I mean, this album. I, I think when it was released, it was released this song with a single. Um, I think a Naked Man was the other when it was released in, a, in a, a combo there but this is just a great album I mean this song is not going to be as as politically um, sharp and as crass as you know uh, Rednecks that's probably what most people would know from that album I love Marie off this album you know it's got some great players on the album. Right. Yeah. That in fact I was just looking at that Glenn Fry, Don Henley, and Bernie mm-hmm. Leadon, so we've got mm-hmm. three sixth or three fifths of the Eagles right. here. That's that was right. on one song, I think. Yeah. Uh oh. Oh, I, I know Ry Cooter played with him on one song, but yeah. maybe yeah, they sing backup vocals, maybe on a few. So maybe you've heard of Gladys Knight and the Pips. It's, you know, Randy Newman and the Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. And then the thing I that blew Which, me away, this album got to 36 on the Billboard 200. Wow. Okay. So it went to yeah. number, that's respectable. That's the, the thing that's funny about him singing with the Eagles is what perfectionists they were with their vocals. And he is not. He is not. Yeah. Actually, I think the probably the most well-known song on that album is the next cut. Um, what is it? Louisiana, 1927. Yes. Yeah. 1927. About a flood there. That, that's been used, especially after Katrina. That song Absolutely. was played in a lot of mm-hmm. video montages and. Yeah, that song, like this song, Randy Newman is a master of of accompaniment that that has a use of sixes and thirds. I mean, Louisiana 1927 is no exception, just a beautiful, uh, and then he's got these cluster chords that just, 
he kind of accompanies his own voice. His accompaniment really just mimics his own voice. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. Uh, I guess in this song, you know, in, in Guilty, is probably the most accompaniment, I would say, that varies from what he's actually singing. And I think he's doing that because he's it's supposed to show this just he's drunk and he's resigned that he's a bum and and he's i'm not going to be any better but most of newman's stuff is just exquisite he's a master of not putting too much in the accompaniment mm-hmm. and and whether it's marie or whether it's louisiana 1927 or, or some of the other tracks on this album uh, i i don't i got to hear him live in concert one time in louisiana not, i mean in lafayette around the spots where that evangeline parish where 1927 would be you know themed that flood and i was just he was just him and the piano and oh was, wow I, ha- I have a listing of all the, the songs that he took and he played a good many of the songs off of this album um including a wedding a wedding in cherokee county and oh it was just exquisite i remember as a college student my uncle and i just mesmerized by that that's great well you asked me if i'm a big randy newman fan that's right i am a randy newman fan but he is a rabbit hole artist for me. Hmm. I'll go several months without listening to any of his stuff. And then, so, so you know, you've started me on a rabbit hole now here. I'm going to go back <laughs> through his catalog and listen to a bunch of stuff. Um, but, yeah. And I do have some songs from Randy Newman on my list for future. Okay, good. Oh, that's nice. Just no burn to a crisp, Newman. Yeah, no burn. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, what would be the closest to a burnt to a crisp randy newman song that doesn't have to do with a film soundtrack maybe Ooh. short people or i love la those, those are the, are the only i would two. i would go with uh i love la before short people yeah that's the only yeah. song that's got any sort of yeah i would sustained say sustained airplay probably because again it had a video on mtv right and toto was part of it yes so they were the backup band <laughs> and uh I'm still amazed that some people don't get the point of short people. Yeah. They think it's a mean song. <laughs> Pay attention, folks. Yeah. You're just saying that because you're tall, Curtis. <laughs> <laughs> the rest of us short people are really highly triggered. Yeah, okay. So we said the Eagles were on this album, but we didn't say somebody else, uh, you know, of note, on not on this uh, track, but Ry Cooter played yes. guitar. I'm back of My Feet again. Back of My Feet, which is a wonderful, wonderful song, too. Um Something that you know, the whole album. I, I we just painted our living room and resheet rocked it, and I listened to this whole album uh, two months ago. I mean, there's nothing like painting um, the ceiling, uh, priming and painting with a roller above head, and listening to Randy Newman. And <laughs> finally, I had to put the earbuds in so that because the boys. I mean, some of these songs are like you know preschool toys, but <laughs> politically charged words. You know, for Dad, what does that word mean? Um, would you go grab some water for me real quick? <laughs> I'm really parched. <laughs> go do your, don't you have some homework to do or something? <laughs> exactly. It's Saturday. Find something to do. Yeah, go outside. Yeah, that's great. All right, Curtis. All right. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Time to spend the next eight minutes of our lives here. Here we go. Hopefully. This is a title track from Gina Vanelli's sixth studio album the album only had one hit i just want to stop i just want to stop and it had two minor hits okay this was not a minor hit no the wheels of life and the river must flow which really was only a minor hit in canada he's a canadian artist um this was the best-selling album of gino's career 
and it was his last album on A&M Records. Okay. Um, even though his name's on the album, the band really is the the star of this song. So give us the band. Um, Gino on lead vocals and synth. Joe Vanelli, his brother, on electric piano and synths. Joe Vanelli shows up on almost every Gino album, doesn't up he? Until a, up until a point. Right, okay. And then a young guitarist named Carlos Rios. Yep. Jimmy Hayslip on bass, who, of course, I've got a list of who he's played with. Mark Craney on drums, which is um, his probably his most famous band that he played with was Jethro Tull. Really? Yeah. So Jethro Tull had a very established drummer as Bar- uh, Barrymore Barlow. He toured but, with them. Oh, he's a touring guy. Okay, yeah. got it. Okay. Um, Manolo Bandero, Bandera on percussion. Victor Feldman on vibes. Of course, yes. Um, other places not on this song. There's no tenor sax on this song, but Ernie Watts plays tenor on songs. Oh, of course. <clears throat> then backing vocals were Stephanie Sproul, Roger Waters, not that one. Yeah, not that Pink Floyd water, um, water. Davio Waters, and then somebody is credited as Rossi Vanelloni. He has a brother who's Ross Vanelli. And, and he's credited as what? Rossi? Rossi. Rossi. Vanellioni. That's great. So Somebody's I'm, pulling a prank. I'm, I'm guessing that's so. Ross Vanelli. Yeah. And <coughs> Gino, Ross, and Joe produced and arranged everything. Got it. This. Um, this was Carlos Rios' first notable album credit. Oh, and it's a it's one of the great solos of the 1970s. Yes. The guitar solos. And he played, started playing professionally when he was in high school. And he had a tutor by the name of uh, somebody named Larry Carlton. Oh, I've never heard of him. Yeah, was his guitar completely, tutor. Completely don't know anything about it. I him. couldn't really make sense. Here's the guitar solo that you're talking about. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This, this is a kid. Yeah. So famous. It's just... Yeah, and then coming up here, he does a little run here that is... The part that you like. Very much out of the Larry Carlton school. Yeah. So anyway, on I was looking on his wiki page, which there is hard there's hardly anything on uh, Rios uh-huh. on the internet. And I'm gonna try to piece together what this story sounded like to me because it I think it was written by the person who was the subject of the guilty song. I think they may have been a little it sounded like to me Carlos had had gotten a call from a friend who was asking if he wanted to come over and play a Gino record, like listen to this. And his mom, Carlos' mom, confused it to do you want to play on a Gino record. At the same time, Gino was looking for a new young guitarist to put on this album. And again, this is me filling in gaps. It seems as though Carlos went to audition and ended up because oh. his friend said, "Do you want to come listen to a Gino record?" And the mom confused it. The mom confused it, so he went and auditioned, and he ends up. Wow. Now I could Slip be of the tongue. Yeah, I no could kidding. be off base because I'm filling in gaps of what this story was. So I may have created an urban legend that okay. five people will. Yeah, th- that's where you could. 
you could steal one from Micro and say, that's the way I heard it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's what Micro would say. Here comes Jimmy Haslip's yep. bass solos. And the drummer. forgot his name. Mark Craney. Now, this song is almost seven and a half minutes long, so when I worked in radio, we called these bathroom songs. So we could <laughs> put put the song on and get down there and run to the bathroom real quick and get back before the song ended and a bunch of dead air was going on. Yeah. So you yeah. have to plan Jim, your bathroom songs. Jimmy Hayslip, of course, was one of the founding members of the Yellow Jackets. He also played with Tommy Bolin, um, Eric Lorber, Eric Marienthal, Bruce Hornsby. Yep. Rita Coolidge, Gino Vanelli, Kiss, Tommy Bolin, Alan Holdsworth. Yep. Um, the list goes on. Donald Fagan, he played with him. Yep. Uh, Anita Baker. Wow. And then Mark Craney uh, also played with Tommy Bolin. He played with John Luke Ponty. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. And then it, on two albums, he played with. Have to be early Ponty albums. <clears throat> well, how early were Ponty's albums? Because this was 76. And this was his first. Oh, okay. So, okay. So later then. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know when that would have been. <laughs> and then, of course, also I said mentioned he played with Jethro Tull and Eric Burden. Okay. So. Got it. Now, lyrically, this song is there's nothing to talk about. This is just the brotherhood of man, love one another, be good. You yeah. know, it's it's <laughs> there's no clever turn of phrase anywhere in here. It's just. Uh, but that's not what, for me, it could be singing about, you know. Call, call us for your home repair. Yeah. <laughs> call. Sing call. it from the phone book. Yeah. 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 I love the the vocal techni- technical stuff here. And I also love how the, the beat is obscured, you know, in the sense that it's, it's not just cookie cutter rhythm section. It just feels like it's cascading forward. The, the driving sound of it all. Yeah. I, I, I This is not as familiar to me, Curtis, but I I like it. I love the falsetto highs. I love the the way it's just, I appreciate something that's out of the mold. You know, that just feel like every other song. And Gino had hits. I mean, he had legit hits. Of course, I Just Want to Stop was a hit. What was the other Gino Vanelli hit? Uh, Living Inside Myself. Living Inside Myself. That's right. That's right. So those were the two hits. And his hits were almost always ballads. Yeah. And... How old is Gino now? Um, mid seventies, and still singing. He sounds like this now because he has cared for his voice. He's regularly had a teacher, and so he regularly cares for his voice. He's very, from what I understand, very meticulous with his instrument. So he yes. really, it's he realizes it's his livelihood, it's his meal ticket, and he takes care of his voice. So. He still sings these songs in these original keys. Do you know the story of how he got his break? I don't. He and Ross were... Oh, Rossi? I'm sorry, not Ross. <laughs> Joe. <laughs> okay. Joe. I've got Ross on the head. because <laughs> Rossi. Uh, Rossi. They were sharing an apartment, trying to play music, couldn't get a break anywhere. And so, and of course, at that time, everybody would send demos. Couldn't get any response anywhere. So he stalked Herb Alpert outside the A&M studios. Nice. Sat there for hours in his car and then saw him come out of the office, ran past the security guard and stopped him and said, please listen to this. Accosted Herb Alpert. How about that? Wow. And 
you know, despite how the security guard was, you know, probably quite <laughs> upset. Out. Yeah. He said, Herb, the first thing he said was, Herb, I love the way you play your trumpet out of tune on Rise. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was would you please listen to this? Yeah. And that, and he did listen to it and he got a record contract wow. out of it. So. Wow. So the takeaway from that is always try to run past security guards to get at high bigwig. Right. Uh, that's always a good okay, idea. Okay. That's, that's a good thing. That's, that's a good MO. Okay. So that's brother to brother. Thanks for, I've, I knew you would bring that one in, so I was like, I, "That's a matter of time before he brings in some Gino Vanelli." So, okay, I guess it's my turn. So um, let's let's pull it up here and see what we got. Well, speaking of Donald Fagan, this is the fourth track from *The Nightfly*, 1982. Um, this is Maxine my favorite song off of what I consider to be the perfect pop album. This, if, if someone would say, what's, what's your idea of the perfect pop album? It's the Nightfly. And it's also one of those albums that I know every cymbal hit. I know every guitar lick. I know every bass run. I know every saxophone solo, including the tenor solo by Michael Brecker here, which we'll hear in a minute. This album is as much in my DNA as any album. I have listened to this hundreds and hundreds of times. And this is my favorite song off this album. Um, it's a very Fagan lyric. Very, like I was telling Jared earlier, it's a very Holden Caulfield, Catcher in the Rye sort of um, um, Holden Caulfield uh, vocal in that he really wants to bust out and do things that the man or the adults aren't letting him do. So it's a very 50s, and that's the whole thing of the album. It's a very 50s um, bomb shelters, red scare, everything. Um, his high school sweetheart looks like Tuesday Weld. Um, so it's a very 50s album. Um, and so this is this is kind of the apotheosis of that of, of that feeling. Um, real quick, I'll name who's on here. We've got a, a brass section of uh, on alto, Dave Tofani, uh, Ronnie Cubers on Barry Sax, Marcus Miller on bass, Ed Green is on drums, uh, electric piano, organ, vocals, Donald Fagan. He, in fact, all the vocals here are Fagan. All those thick jazz harmonies are Donald. That's it. There's no other singers on here. Euphonium is Dave Bargeron, uh, flugelhorn Randy Brecker, uh, guitar Larry Carlton, Greg Fillingaines is on piano, and just in time to hear uh, Michael Brecker, the late great Michael Brecker's tenor solo, which begins right here. So that's that's Michael. This album had three singles, Ruby Baby, uh, New Frontier, and IGY, What a Beautiful World. The only other thing I'll say about this before I turn it over to you guys is Amy Nolte. She's kind of an online jazz educator on YouTube. This is her favorite Donald Fagan song, and so she's done a pretty deep dive into the chordal structure of this, and it's fascinating. So if you look up Amy Nolte, A-M-I-E-E Nolte, N-O-L-T-E, um, Donald Fagan, you'll find the video. So. I'm just struck by it. We almost 
you could almost do one of these episodes, you guys, where everybody has to be connected. Forget six degrees of separation. <laughs> it's like you said, Fagan on yours. Let's see, and and maybe Randy. Is there any connection with Randy? And that would be like, you know, something I, crazy. There probably is. I'm just not thinking hard enough. Wouldn't that be something if you had to set your three? With, with the artist that is always known as Jonathan, if he's back here, if y'all set your episodes that way, where everybody has to be connected, you have to trace the connection. That would require forethought. I'm not sure. I'm sure we're wired that way. I don't have that. I do love the harmonies, though, back at the... Uh, I think that's great. Uh, this is also... I'm, I'm not as familiar as... So this is going to be, you know... Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's just... It's a jazz harmony for sure. And there's something about harmonizing with yourself that feels artificial, but but it's kind of mesmerizing. Yeah. You know, like when, That's a great way to put it. That's, yeah. You know, you, you, when most time when you harmonize, it's somebody else's voice and their voice color, and it's different. But when it's your own voice, it just kind of, you can't, this is mesmerizing. It's weird. Lack of a better word. Yeah. And of course, as, as is my case, I always pull stuff, something I've got the hard copy, so... My CD copy, my very well-worn copy of the Nightfly right there. My album copy of that was very well-worn. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> I'm feeling very small compared to you two guys. Yeah. Album, <laughs> CD here. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, just saw an, an interview with Steve Lukather. Uh, Rick Beato just posted an interview of his. Uh-huh. And he mentioned Nightfly as... Steve Lukather said this is one of his Desert Island yeah, albums. Absolutely. Me too. And the last thing I'll say about Maxine, back in the day I bought Brian Sweet's kind of um, autobiography of Steely Dan, just called Steely Dan. And from that, Brian Sweet writes about the Nightfly. And he says, during the recording of one song, Ed Green played drums on a track which Fagan didn't think was working. But he loved Green's drum track so much that he took the tape away and eventually came back with a new song and lyrics, Maxine, totally rewritten around the old song's drum track. So he loved Ed Green's drum performance, and that's all he kept from that old song and wrote Maxine around the drum track. Hmm. And this is 1982, so this is pre-DAW, this is pre-Logic, Pro Tools, anything like that. Even with his limited experience at that stage... Uh, Daniel Lazarus was amazed by the dedication which Fagan put into rewriting that song. Maxine dealt with an extremely idealized version of high school romance. The ordeals of growing up in the remote suburbs and seeking any form of escape, be it through fantasy or love. Fagan said that he was a crooner. Um, I think that basically, that's basically the way my voice sounds over lots of changes and confirmed um, that the rich chordal backdrop of both Maxine and Ruby Baby or takes on typical four and five part harmony of the period. So that's kind of an interesting little tidbit that they were working on a song. Song wasn't working, but man, I really love that drum track. So I'm gonna keep that. And then I'm gonna completely just put something together around that drum track. So that's kind of the genesis of Maxine. So I know this is probably one of your Desert Island discs too, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. This is one of those that when Curtis and I were getting to know each other, we were like, oh, yeah, we love Donald yep. Fagan and Steely Dan. And so that yeah, was. Yeah, again, I, I, I'm i like you. I know every cymbal hit and yeah. every, you know, every chord change yep. that happens on that album. Yeah. Okay, so it's time. I can't believe it's here. Um, it's time for 
um, our Burn to a Crisp segment. Now, I gave you a little, I gave you both a little bit of a tease that this is an, this is not an artist that I can't stand doing a song I can't stand. This is an artist I really like, so it's my turn to bring it in today. So you guys have no idea what's coming. This is an artist that I really like, and I know you really like. I'm pretty sure Jared would like too, but I know Curtis and I really like this artist. However, we're not here to listen to the songs that we really like by this guy. Not at this point in the year. No. Well, in this segment right here, we're here to listen to something that is charred to a crisp. Yep. So, without further ado, I give you this. Do we know? Oh, yes. We know. Do we know? Yes. Now it's done. I don't like this whole era of, well, this whole genre of his music. This is Kenny Loggins with the title track from the Footloose thing. Yeah. I wasn't a big fan of his uh, soundtrack stuff. Me neither. I don't like the song on Top Gun, playing with the boys. I liked the Caddyshack stuff, but... Yeah. Yeah, I'm all right. Was all right. Ah, it's, it's got an energy to it that. But this will. is. Right. We yeah. can't go to a wedding without them line dancing to this. This is in my part of the world. This is what they do. Whenever they play this at a wedding, it's so that everybody can get out and line dance to this right here. Yep. Yep. Check, please. Check, please. Yeah, and. Frankly, this isn't as bad as Danger Zone for me. Right. But yeah, this was just killed. So when this came out, um, 85-ish probably, I showed so little interest in the song, I didn't even look up (laughs) the exact year when it was. (laughs) But it's got to be 84, 85, somewhere around in there, whenever the movie came out. I remember my best friend in in high school. This is when the song was current on the radio. Having a conversation with me and saying, I am so sick of this song. And saying, it's probably the case that at any minute of any day, some station in the U.S. is playing Footloose. And so we were, it was burned to a crisp within two months of being out for me, for my generation. And now, of course, there's a musical for Footloose. This generation's picked it up, and it's one of that handful of songs that quote-unquote kids these days get off my lawn uh, love. Whether it's Don't Stop Believing," Footloose, Take On Me, The Final Countdown. Africa. Africa. Yeah. Yeah, so... Now, I do think uh, Nathan East plays bass on this, so it does have some players. I'm sure he's got players on it, because he always did. Yeah. What What do you do you think... I'm seeing that they say he's the king of the movie soundtrack. Would you agree with that? Uh, he certainly was in uh, a certain slice of the 80s. Yeah. yeah. I don't know that I would... I mean, that could still be pejorative, you know? Yeah, it could be. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on the movies you show yeah. up on. Yeah. Exactly. Um, well, he had Meet Me Halfway, which was on, oh, a Sliced Alone. Yeah, I don't know. 
there's this some one. Loggins and Messina stuff that I like. Oh yeah. And I just it, can't remember the new tracks off. The and this is kind of a throwback to the feel of Mama Don't Dance. Of huh, Loggins never, and Messina, it's kind of hmm. got that same. But don't you dare try to make me like this. <laughs> but if you go Burn back and listen to that song, it's got the same up tempo. Rhythmically, it's very similar. And this yeah. is the part I hate. This part. So. I, oh. I I couldn't help but think when you said that somewhere in America this song is playing at any given time. It reminds me of um, what was it? Uh, a Prairie Home Companion and uh, Garrison Keillor would say in one of his bits. At some point, at any time in America, someone is committing the crime of Shenandoah. The song Shenandoah. <laughs> <laughs> so you could make it a verb. Someone is committing Footloose at some point. Yes. At, at any time in America. That is so true. That is so true. I honestly think for you, this one is more burnt because in 85. Um, you were jazz snobbing at that I point. I was jazz snobbing at that time. I was newly married. I wasn't as. Oh, yeah. Um, Another verb, jazz snobbing. Yes, you were jazz I, snobbing. I, I was not top 40 radio listening right. at that point. So. I just didn't like the song. Yeah. I was a senior in high school, junior, senior in high school, whenever this came out. So I was still in diapers. You were. Um, Jared's considerably younger than us. I'm going to say this was probably after um, the High Adventure album. Uh, I believe that's right. And High Adventure had that duet with Steve Perry, Don't yes. Fight It, which is great. I like that mm-hmm. one. Um but, but and, it, and if you listen to that song, it's almost a precursor to what he did here. And in what it's, way? It, just, just in the feel, yeah. the, the tempo, the feel, yeah, which was a little more upbeat than what he had done on previous albums. Now I haven't looked into this at all, so I probably should shouldn't even bring it up since I haven't looked into it. But when the new Top Gun movie came out a year or two ago, that whatever that Top Gun did they get Kenny Loggins back to do a new song or I watched it but I don't recall okay because I think he had Danger Zone on there he had playing with the boys Footloose was a hit Meet Me Halfway it seems like he had a couple of other oh don't or uh I'm all right was on Caddyshack right and didn't he have a song on Caddyshack 2 the movie Caddyshack 2 did he have it did I, Loggins have a song on that I don't know okay. that was one of the worst movies ever made okay well, there you um, go. There's so, your movie burned to a crisp. Yeah, there's your movie. It wasn't burnt to a crisp. Nobody saw it. Oh, there you go. It came if, out of if the If he oven. wrote a song on that, that's the best part of the movie. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. It doesn't matter how bad or good the song was. Yeah. And if anybody should know, it's you, because you are my go-to on Caddyshack references. On the first one. Yeah. You know? yeah. And they pulled a couple songs off of, in the original Caddyshack movie they pulled a couple songs from his Keep the Fire album and laid that in. Oh. they used that as part of the soundtrack too Didn't know that okay so there's your that's kind of why Kenny's Mr. Soundtrack in the 80s so well there you go that's yeah so Burn to a Crisp Footloose boy it's a it's a it's something I don't know what it is but they committed Footloose it committed Footloose that's <laughs> right well that's gonna about wrap it up for our episode this week 
Jared, it's been great having you, brother. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Safe travels back to Louisiana, and we'll welcome Jonathan back to the seat next time. AI Jonathan or real Jonathan, we'll, we'll figure out. I've still that never out. seen this guy. I don't know if he exists. I don't know. Well, I, I'll, I'll vouch for him. Curtis, maybe. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. It, it's I'm hard the artist for him. formerly known as Jonathan. That's right. At least today known as Jonathan. <laughs> That's not, right. Next week, not known. That's right. Well, we sure appreciate you joining in. As as we always say, go out and buy actual music. Uh, go out and buy. Uh, get, why is this so hard for you to get off streaming? Get off streaming. Actually, buy some music. I always say buy physical music, but at least buy some files or something. But there you go. Buy some music. Why is this so hard for you? So, thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Take care. Mm-hmm.